You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution. It is November 4th, 2021, and this, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so glad to bring to you is a special Revelation Revolution podcast. I'm going to be playing two uh, episodes or two uh, series uh, that I recorded at Victory Apostolic Church in Madison, Illinois, and where my good friend, Pastor Andrew Singleton Jr. is the pastor. Uh, he read my book, um, You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, and gave me a five-week series taught right there at Bible class at his marvelous church in Madison, Illinois. And Madison, for those of you that don't know, uh, who don't know, uh, Madison, Illinois is about 20 miles south of Chicago, one of the south suburbs of the Chicago area. And so the series began on October 12th, and uh, is going to run all the way through November 16th. Now, what I'm about to play for you is the first and the third um, lessons that I taught, and uh, you're really, really going to enjoy this. And so I just wanted to do this intro to give you some uh, understanding of uh, what you are about to hear. Now, uh, after I finish this series, uh, there'll be two more that I end up uploading at a later time, uh, but uh, then we'll get back into our regular Revelation Revolution. And so God bless you and keep you in Jesus' mighty name. And thanks for tuning in and enjoy. You must know the times. Dr. Dennis Woods is also going to be our speaker for another five-part series. And this five-part series is entitled, You Must Know the Times. 
And so I encourage those of you who are in here uh, tonight, those of you uh, who are online, to purchase the book. He has had two book signings here already. And so I see people coming in. We already, even though we're greatly social distant, we already have more people in this Bible class than we had in any other. I guess I should have had you teaching already. <laughs> but people, people have not been coming back to Bible class because of COVID, but now people are fascinated. People, some of you got boosters. And you ready to move on and still do it safely. Let's give God some praise. His book entitled, You Must Know the Times, uh, answers to 25 essential questions of end time prophecy. This is where we start uh, tonight. It is a five-part straight series. Both he and I will be teaching sometimes together, sometimes separate. But we will be working uh, together. So we're going to go ahead and get moving. And I thought it would be great just to start uh, the discussion with a few questions uh, for Dr. Wood. Dr. Wood, why don't you grab that mic so you have your own personal mic. Great. And so before we get any further, are, are you single or married? we got single women out here. I'm trying to make sure they clear that you, you, about your, your marital status and all. Uh, for 23 years, I have been happily married to my lovely wife, Shantia Woods. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. And so my next question is, why is the basic knowledge of end-time subjects so important today? Well, if you look at uh, with the advent of COVID-19, one of the things that happened, uh, obviously, when you any any time you have something that is catastrophic or global in nature uh, concerning any type of natural uh, pestilence such as COVID-19, you have inevitably following in the wake of that, you have all sorts of conspiratorial theories that, that uh, in this age of the Internet, they just went viral. And one of them was is that the uh, mark of the beast would be inside the vaccination. And so this went around, and there were a lot of people that heard that. And unfortunately, Let me ask, how many of y'all heard that? That the, oh my that the I want you I want you to see it online. How many of you heard it? Mm-hmm. That you better not take the vaccine because that's the mark of the beast. The and see, when people do things like that to me, and I'm gonna let him expound more. It just shows to me, first of all, their ignorance of the Bible. Exactly. It's just, will you tell them quite simply why that is not even possible? You can't have the mark of the beast until the beast gets here. I mean. It's <laughs> See, y'all laughing, but some of y'all didn't know how to answer people. But maybe I better not get the shot. I mean, it's his mark, right? I mean, he would kind of like have to be here. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but historically, this has been an issue. Uh, the fledgling church at Thessalonica, uh, during uh, Paul's uh, missionary journeys, he, started, he, he founded that church and he mentored that church and he led that church for uh, a while. And the bottom line is, is that church... Paul began to speak to them about eschatology very early. They were already asking questions. In Second Thessalonians, they were concerned about having missed the day of the, of the day of the being in the midst of the day of the Lord because they were going through persecution. And so some of them were losing their faith the whole nine yards. And so bad information, and this is what happened to them. Somebody wrote a letter saying it was from Paul or for a prophet. They received it as good information, and therefore, because of that, it was causing some of them to lose faith. Faith uh, in the fact that they missed the rapture. 
And so just like we've seen in the first century, we're seeing today bad information about end times can make uh, can be life or death. I am sure there is some there are people that are no longer with us who believe the lie that the mark of the beast was in the uh, COVID-19 and they are now in the cemetery. So uh, this is why. it's important. Well, that certainly answers my question. I'm going to allow you now to go get set up because I'm going to sit out here, too. And as he uh, sets up for the rest of the presentation, we'll be on here today and uh, around 8:20 or so we'll open up for questions and do the best we can we want to pretty much stay within our normal hour framework and for those of you online you can send your questions in via facebook is that correct and we have someone here to get your questions and what we're going to do this will start relatively simplistic and keep building because there are so many people that really know very little about eschatology and the study of the last things. The other thing I want you to have as, as he begins this study, you have to have a sense of humility. Because there may be, there are things, he and I talk for hours, we set time limits on our discussions. Uh, because we can sometimes just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And both of us understand that when we're dealing with the book of Revelation, which is going to be our primary piece, not tonight, but into the future, it is cloaked in mystery. But it was given to us by God through the Spirit, and it's about Jesus Christ, so we need to learn what we can learn, but be open and not be locked in. So at this time, I turn the presentation over to Dr. Dennis Woods. Again, we thank God for Jesus and for his power. That is in his resurrection. Amen. For the blood sacrifice. How many so glad that you're saved on tonight? Oh, glory to God. I just thank God for Jesus. Why study end time prophecy? It's a good question. Studying the end time prophecy is very important. And we're going to... Begin our study with just an observation that God makes about himself. Amen. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 from the NIV, this is what the Lord says. He says, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God. There is none, no other. I am God. There is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. For this reason, why knowing the times and the end times is so important is because God wanted his children to know what was coming ahead of time. Glory to God. In this way, we have an advantage over the world. The world is going to be in chaos and not have any ability to understand the signs of the time. They're not going to have any answers. However, by Christians... Knowing what the scriptures declare about the end time events, this becomes a tool. They're not going to have it. The world's not going to have any answers. However, by Christians knowing what the scriptures declare about end time events, this then becomes a tool and an avenue for witnessing to guard against deception. 
So when God is taking time to share some of his omniscience and give it to mere human beings and tell us thousands of years, hundreds of years, thousands of years in advance what is going to happen, then we need to pay attention to what God is saying. Therefore, prophecy is like God's fingerprint that uniquely identifies him as God. There is no power in all creation that can reveal the future, reveal the future events thousands of years in advance. God not only declares the future, but has the power to bring it to pass. God is not a mere observer of the future, like a weatherman who looks at the clouds, but he is the effective cause of future events. And so this is why the study of end-time prophecy is so important. The significance of prophecy is not some trivial issue, but God's divine revelation of a prophetic mandate where the almighty God has chosen to reveal his plans to mere human beings. Therefore, if God has said it, we better pay attention to it. Amen. Whatever he say, we need to listen. But listen, listen to what the indictment that Jesus had of the disciples in his day and the Pharisees particularly. He replied, he says, when evening comes, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it'll be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. He says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. And so that's the same indictment that he has today. Is this, uh, the, uh, back then in his day is the same one that applies to us today. We are so caught up in every little thing. We can tell you about every little detail about the bears and the this and that and the what movies and all of that. And we're all caught up. But when it comes to the signs of the times and knowing what God says about where this world is heading, I don't care who's in office, who's not in office, I don't care what party is in power, it doesn't make a difference. God has a path, the earth is on it, and Jesus is coming back. It don't make a difference what no man say. So now Jesus gives us what I like to call is templates gives us some templates of what the world will be like. So let's take a look at it. In Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, the word of the Lord reads from the NIV, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Listen to this. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, the interesting thing is that God didn't destroy these people because they were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. That's normal stuff. But the problem is, is that through the cares of this world, you get distracted with life. 
And so things coming, going to work and coming and going and kids going to school and getting up and people getting married and people getting sick and all that. These are all the things that we have to care about, right? But while all of this is happening, there's other things happening according to God's prophetic plan. So one of the templates is the days of Noah. The second template is this. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planning, building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And so we get two templates, the days of Noah. And the days of Lot. It's interesting because now we have to get the backstory. Amen. And it requires that I do something that I like to do. We got to break it down. This is what the word of the Lord says in Genesis. So what were the days of Noah like? We're going to see it. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of his thoughts, of their thoughts, of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. I want you to get this, ladies and gentlemen. We got a long-suffering, loving God, but the Bible says God regretted that he made humans. What in the world happened? I mean, that's like drastic, right? Glory to God. Of course, these are anthropomorphic terms. Anthropomorphic means ascribing to God human characteristics. So we can understand the narrative there and the, and the prose of the writing. But the bottom line is this is conveying something. God got sick of human beings. He got sick and he got sick and tired of what they were doing. Something happened on the planet that made him real upset. Genesis 11 through 13, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight, in God's sight, and was full of violence. Mark that, full of violence. Sound familiar? And God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. Because of them, I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So what was it? I mean, God having a bad day. He was younger then. It was just kind of like going off. You know, but what got under him like that? What, what happened? So we're going to take a look at it. NIV, okay, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Now we're getting into it. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. And they married any of them that they chose. Glory to God. Hmm, interesting. The, the Nephilim were in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God went into the daughters of human, they had children by them. 
They were heroes of old, men of renown. Now, the interesting term here is Nephilim, and Nephilim comes from a root Hebrew word, Nephil, which means a bully or a tyrant, but it can also be translated giant. And so in the King James Version, you see giant. In other versions, you see giants. In the NIV, they just put the Hebrew word Nephilim. Oh, glory to God. So what was going on? What was really going on? What we have to do a lot of times is refer to other sources. Now, here I'm going to quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This is the staff at Dallas Theological Seminary. Anybody of the seminarians know that Dallas is one of the top evangelical seminaries in the country. And so this is Dr. Walvoord and the crew and all of them, even though Dr. Walvoord is going on to be with the Lord. This is what they say. Many have suggested that the sons of God were the godly line of Seth. Seth was one of Adam's sons, right? Okay. And the daughters of men were the Cain, Cainites. Not Canaanites, but Canaanites, the descendants of Cain. Okay, so that's what some people say that this is in reference to. Well, not everybody is on that side. So let's look at, let's look at some, some ideas here. So what we're going to do, let's pull in with one of the apostles. Say, would some of you out there think that one of the apostles, maybe their opinion would have some credibility here? Uh, maybe we can go to an apostle. How about that? Okay, let's look at what Jude says. Now, the angels who, this is from Jude, uh, uh, the, uh, the sixth verse, Jude only has one chapter. So uh, the sixth verse of Jews, listen to what Jews says. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in chains of darkness bound with everlasting chains with judgment on the great day. Now this is interesting. Wait a minute. What is Jew talking about here? Interesting, interesting, interesting. So let's look at another commentary. Let's, let's look at this. This is the believer's commentary. It says, we believe that Jude is referring to what is recorded in Genesis 6, 1 through 7. Well, wait a minute. We just read that. The sons of God left their proper estate as angelic beings and came down to the earth in human form, married daughters of men. This marital union was contrary to God's order and an abomination to him. Now, that's the believer's commentary. If I didn't quote other sources, y'all would be saying, Dr. Woods, you're going off the deep end and you're just coming up with stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm quoting other sources here because I want you to get an understanding of what happened on the planet. Did God just kind of like just go off and he just got besides himself? Or did something so serious happen that had back then that has implication for the end times to come? Because it's a template. The days of Noah. Amen. Let's get Jews' perspective. How many know that Jude, part of his epistle, quotes from other than Bible uh, sources? Jude quotes from two. One is called a pseudopigrapher book, which simply means a book that is falsely attributed to. In other words, the book of Enoch. We're going to be talking about the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch, well, don't nobody know if Enoch really wrote it, but it's got his name on it, right? And so Jude also quotes from another book called The Assumption of Moses. 
And he talks about Michael the archangel fighting with the devil over the body of Moses. Well, that didn't come from Genesis. That came from an apocalyptic, apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. So Jude, in the first century, these apostles had other things available to them that we don't feel, that we don't feel today is inspired. So they didn't make it in the canon of scriptures. But, they had historical significance such as the Apocrypha. If you look at the Catholic Bible, that Bible has more books than ours because during the intertestamental period between Malachi and the New Testament, there were other writers that wrote up. And I, when our Bible was canonized in Tunisia in 1397 and at the Council of Carthage, uh, that's a, you know your Bible has, it has African roots, right? Did anybody tell you that? Tunisia is in North Africa, right? Okay, but anyway, uh, and that's why they did that. Uh, so the bottom line is, is that there were a lot of things that was available to first century Christians that we don't recognize today as being inspired, but they have historical significance. So Jude actually quotes from the book of Enoch. Where does he do it? Verse 14 and 15. Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. That's not from the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen. That's from the book of Enoch. He's actually quoting Enoch here. Okay, now, let's look at another quote that he does. Let's look at, as a matter of fact, let's look at what a very noted scholar by the name of James Montgomery Boyce. Has anybody ever heard of him? James Montgomery Boyce? Your your pastor knows. Yeah, I got got a few scholars in the room that, that know who... Montgomery Boyce, would he be considered a credible source? Very credible, right? Listen to what Dr. Boyce says about the Genesis 6 narrative. First Enoch is not a biblical book, of course. Its interpretation of Genesis 6 is not inspired. It could be wrong in many places, and undoubtedly it is. Nevertheless, it is significant for our interpretation of the text because it was apparently known by Peter and Jude who in their oblique references to the same subject seem to uh, put their stamp of approval on it. This is what Dr. John MacArthur says. Same thing. John MacArthur saying a most plausible viewpoint is that Jew, Jude is uh, referred to an extraordinary heinous infraction by some fallen angels that sin recorded in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 was so severe that God placed the offending demons in chains to prevent them from ever committing such perversity again. So now, these, there was a group, so according to this line of reasoning, there was a group of angels that took advantage basically of human beings and polluted the human race. And the whole design was, it was a satanic plot to ruin the human race so a redeemer couldn't come. So if you mix fallen angels with human DNA and you populate the world with that, you couldn't have a redeemer whose blood could be used on Calvary. It's an insidious plot. It's deep. I know, but you know, we got to study this out. Praise God. So now, let's actually look at Enoch. Don't ask me where I got it from. 
Actually, the book of Enoch is part of my Logos, my Lagos uh, Bible library. Those of you that have Lagos, you have access to a whole library of things. This is where I got it from. But anyway, let's look at what Enoch says. It's almost identical to Genesis 6. This is what it says. And it came to pass that when children of men had multiplied in those days, were born unto them beautiful and comely daughters, that the angels, see, Enoch directly says it. The angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose wives from among the children of men and begat us children. So now Enoch is just telling us these were angels. And this is the information that Jude was quoting from when he wrote his epistle about the angels that kept not their first estate. And God got mad with them and put them on a life sentence. Those angels, those demons will never be released again. You think Satan is bad. These may have even been worse because God will not let those those angels out again. So those are locked up forever. Glory to God. And they're put in a place called Tartarus. That is the Greek word for it. Now listen to this. Uh, Enoch 7, uh, verses 2 through 6, it said, They became pregnant, they bare giants, and the giants turned against and devoured mankind. They began to, listen to this, they began to sin against the birds, the beasts, the reptiles, and the fish. So now we can kind of understand what God's attempt was was to wipe out all of them, but not only the humans, but this is why the animals were involved, because these angels violated them as well. And so that, that, so God had to do the whole program and wipe everything out and start over again. And so now, so how is this a template for the future? And that's the interesting thing. Because believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, according to the book of Revelation, something similar is going to occur again. Glory to God. Let's look at what Peter says about it. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but put them into hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. So now we have Peter also chimes in on this whole narrative. Glory to God. So the translation for us today is what? As in the days of Noah... The world during the latter times will be characterized by violence, corruption, and lawlessness inspired by direct supernatural influences as they were in the days of Noah. So you wonder why you're seeing all these demonic movies and demonic pictures and all this off-the-chain violence and all of this. It is being inspired by supernatural forces that are involved in human affairs. Now, so far as this marrying humans and having children, that's not happening again because them angels got locked up. They're not getting out. They got a life sentence. That's not going to happen again. Glory to God. God said, no, we're not going there no more. All right, look at what Ephesians says. This isn't strange. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, this is what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the, uh, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Paul is saying, listen, your fight really is not with brother this or sister that or the, the, the guy of your neighbor across the street. What's really happening is there are supernatural forces involved in inspiring people. And this is the world we live in. We inherited a world with a devil. We inherited a world with demons. And it's part of this reality we have to live in now. Glory to God. This is characteristic of the last days. This is what Paul said in Timothy. The Spirit speaks expressively that in the latter times, listen to the language, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Do you know that demons can teach people? That's what they do. They inspire evil. They inspire wickedness. Glory to God. Unfortunately, some of them demons end up in some of these seminaries. Now, that's another. You, got, you have scholars that don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Listen to what Romans says. Listen, listen to the litany of sins he mentions here. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent evil. They invent ways of doing evil. Listen, people come up with evil. Listen, crack cocaine was an invention by somebody wicked. And they made a form of cocaine that was ten times addictive than powder cocaine, and it devastated America, devastated communities. They're coming up with this stuff like Oxycontin and all of this other stuff, uh, these drugs, uh, one, one that's a thousand times more powerful than heroin. And it's, that people are creating all this wickedness. And so what's happening is we're finding we're living in a society that is spiraling down because of influence by demonic spirits. So what happened in Noah's day, something simple, similar will happen again. Look at what the Bible says, the book of Revelation, Revelation 12, 7 and 8. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. There will be another time, ladies and gentlemen, where Satan is thrown out of the heavenly realms because right now he has access. He still has access. He will be thrown out of there and then him and his angels will be confined once again and come back down to the earth just like they did in the days of Noah. And so this is why it is a template for what's going to happen in the future. You know, Jesus talked about it. 
He talked about this. He said, now, at one point I wanted to make, when in Noah's day, these angels left their own habitation under their own volition, under their own will. In Revelation, they lost their habitation because they were expelled. And then the rest of that text goes say, woe to the world because the devil comes down with great wrath because he knows he had but a short time. Oh, glory to God. So we know what the days of Noah were like. But the question is, what were the days of life? It was the same, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Template number two, number one, days of Noah, violence, corruption, all of that demonic influence. The second template, Jude, again, gives us the backstory. Listen to this. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. And they serve as an example, i.e. a template of those who suffer punishment of eternal fire. I want you to listen to this. Never in the history of humankind has the push for the acceptance of alternative lifestyles been so pervasive in every sphere of life, politics, education, the legal system, the workplace, books, education, literature, TV, movies, religion, foster care, the church. Not just in America, all over the world. This isn't a localized thing. This is an international thing. And so because it's so pervasive now, it becomes a fulfillment of what God said. This is what your world is going to be like before I come back. You are going to see the days of Noah, and you are also going to see the days of Lot. The question is, do you see these things? How can we miss this? Isaiah gives us a very important insight in my closing minutes. The look on their faces testifies against them. Let me tell you something. People who are caught up in a sin have a look to them. Yes, they do. Crackheads have a look. Alcoholics have a look. Folks that's giving over to different things have a look. Glory to God. Listen to what it says. The look on their face testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster on themselves. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. I, I just think it's just, just so interesting how the NIV 
uses the word parade. Do we see that today? Listen to this. Listen to this. The sexual perversions of the Sodomites became the sense of their pride. And this is what Isaiah is saying. See, Isaiah is really drawing from the essence of how that society was. The look on their face testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. So what happens is the sexual perversions of the Sodomites became a sense of their pride, which apparently they flaunted openly. Instead of hiding it without shame or restraint, they paraded it. It's the flaunting and the openness that's been behind, the the impetus behind every sector of our society being impacted by the push to normalize promiscuity and same-sex lifestyle. The question is, is do we see this today? I mean, even down to the parades. Now, let me just say this. It's particularly for our online audience. No one is advocating that folks don't have rights. No one's doing that. People got rights. You You can't discriminate against people. In the schools today, if a boy leaves home Fred and comes to school, goes in a bathroom, puts on a dress and a wig, and calls himself Frederica, every teacher in there better call him Frederica or they in trouble. That's just the law now. So we're not talking about discriminating against somebody and the people not having rights. What we're talking about is what the Bible said the world would be like. That's what we're talking about. Glory to God. I like how the complete Jewish Bible says this. The look, their their very look witnesses against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They don't even try to hide it. All the worse for them, they bring evil on themselves. So, again, we're not trying to advocate was people to, to not have their rights and go out and start persecuting for I'm not talking about y'all doing that. Don't do that. You'll go to jail. Okay? But the bottom line is the question before us is this. Do we see this or not? Is this the world we're living in or not? Now, is it just so happens that God know what he's talking about? It just so happens God get this right. I think he got it right. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. They parade their sin like Sodom. And they don't try to hide it. Look at the blaspheming there. I mean, you want to leave it up long. This is the last verse. We're right on time. Glory to God. One of the admonitions the writer of Hebrews gave to the church This is what he said. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Now, what day is he talking about? The day that the Lord returns. So in other words, he's saying, as you see the day approaching, you should be finding yourself in church all the more. You should be finding yourself in the house of God. If God is right about all of this, I think he's right about all. Glory to God. Glory, glory to God. Isn't God good? Glory to God. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand praise. The day speaks of the second coming of the Lord. So today's topic, why study end time prophecy? People might think, well, the world is just it is the way it is. No, it's not just that. God said, listen, before I return, I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like. Because I want you to know. Why do I want you to know? So you will be a witness, ladies and gentlemen. So you'll know how to witness to people. You'll know how to minister to people. You'll see, when the world is freaking out and not knowing what to do, God already has you set aside as repositories of his truth, that you can be a reservoir of blessing in this dark and evil age. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. Isn't God good? come down under the Roman general uh, Titus they were gone and in Jerusalem was ransacked and temple destroyed which is why he'll share later they don't even have worship now there's no there's no temple but there's another temple coming that he's going to be sharing with us into the future so get ready and tonight we kind of start dealing with that abomination the desolation that y'all love to talk about beasts and antichrist and all kind of scary stuff but the end times is no joke. We should take all of these classes very, very seriously because they affect us as believers and they affect us in a way about how we live our daily life. Do you live your daily life in a materialistic way as if there's no tomorrow? Or do you live your, your daily life as if, yes, I will enjoy material things, but the best is yet to come? See, that's how you got to live your life as a believer. So at this time, and those you online, come on, let's give another round of applause, uh, Dr. Dennis Woods. Thank you, Pastor Singleton, and everyone that is here on tonight. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand praise. Isn't God good? How often is he good? I think there's somebody out there that knows him. If it had not have been for the goodness of Jesus on our side, where would we be? Amen. Glory to God. Come on, let's give him one more hand praise. Oh, glory to God. I see people are still coming in on tonight. Tonight's lesson, part three, we're going to be dealing with what did Jesus say? about the end of the age. The information contained in this study 
will be taken from chapters 5, 6, 7, 17, and 18 from my book. Okay? Uh, so when you can go back home and read up on it again, the information on tonight will be taken from chapters uh, 5, 6, and 7, 5 through 7, and then 17 and 18. A pastor alluded to this, and we're going to get into it, a conversation that was prompted when the disciples, excited about their temple, was talking with Jesus, and they were showing Jesus the buildings of the temple. Kind of like if you had a visitor come from down south or somewhere, and you were taking them downtown. And we show them off all the buildings down there. And you would be proud of your city. And the disciples were showing off the buildings of the temple. And this Olivet is is called the Olivet Discourse. And this is where Jesus revealed the signs that would precede his second coming. And this is how it went. This discourse basically is recorded in Matthew 24... Verses 1 all the way through chapter 25, ending at verse 46. The parallel passages are found in Mark 13, verses 1 through 37. And then in Luke chapter 21, verses 5 through 36. All of these synoptic gospels have the Mount Olivet Discourse. And this is how it reads, beginning at Matthew 24, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, Jesus left the temple. Now, if you look on the board, I have the words, the temple, in red because I want to emphasize that the temple is the central piece in all of this eschatological information that we're going to peruse through tonight. Amen? Jesus left the temple and he was walking away when his disciples came to him and came up to him to call his attention to his buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left upon another. Everyone will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Glory to God. And this is how Jesus responded. Jesus answered, Watch out! That no one deceives you. The very first comment Jesus makes is guard your hearts against deception. How many know that we are living in an age now of mass deception? He says, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. And will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Glory to God. This first warning 
was not to be to be on guard against deception. Deception occurs particularly when the line between truth and falsehood are so blurred that the truth is not easily discerned. In an age of deception, God's word is the only source of inerrant truth. So we're not speaking of just relative or subjective truth. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will what? Make you free. Amen. So Jesus goes on in the conversation. He said, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Now that's an interesting analogy, birth pangs. Glory to God. The word birth pains, come, uh, birth pains comes from a Greek word, Odin, and it is associated with the messianic woes. In other words, the terrors and the torments traditionally viewed as the prelude to the coming of the messianic age or Jesus' second coming and are associated with the appearance of the Son of Man at the end of history. As the beginning of the end of woe. So birth pains, it gives us the idea of this. We know that when a woman is pregnant, but to all the sisters in here, you know what I'm talking about, that had babies, as you get closer to that birthday, them pains start to hit. And as the birthday gets closer, they get more intense and they increase in frequency. And that's what Jesus is saying. As his age, as the age, the Messianic age, as his second coming, there's a whole new creation about to be birthed in not only the earth realm, but in the heavens and all of it. Paul says the whole creation groans to now waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Glory to God. And so these birth kings are going to be a, a characteristic. And then he says nation will rise against nation. The interesting thing about the word nation is it comes from the Greek word ethnos. And ethnos is in reference to ethnicities or people groups or as we call them races. So that means that the last days will be rife with racial tensions and people groups at each other. Not only will it be Shiites against Kurds, not only will it be pest, will it be Palestinians against Jews, but as we see here in America, racial tensions once again are reaching an unprecedented boiling point. And why is that happening? Much of it is designed around deception and a big lie. And what happens is, is when people embrace a lie, it causes tension. And so Jesus says, these are characteristics of the last days. Glory to God. 
And then he talks about in verse 24, he says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. And notice what he says there. See, I have told you ahead of time. You see, this is the whole idea behind prophecy is to forewarn you, is to tell you ahead of time. How many times in life have we said, if I only knew what was coming, I would have did better what Jesus is telling you was coming ahead of time so you won't get caught. Glory to God. And I'm using you rhetorically, but I'm saying it so it'll get in your spirit so as these things begin to manifest in our earth realm, we won't be shaken because Jesus says the end is not yet. He says, behold, I told you ahead of time. He says, I am the God is none like me. I tell the end from the beginning. He says, nobody like me. Can't nobody do that. Listen to what Peter says. Listen to what, excuse me, what Paul says in Timothy. Because he's talking about here in the first, in verse uh, Matthew 24, 24 and 25, he talks about the false prophets that will be able to do signs and wonders. So all of you sign seekers and miracle workers and, 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 and miracle line oil slinging people going to these churches and all of that stuff, looking for some kind of miracle water and drinking all that stuff and want to see miracles and miracles and miracles. You better be careful because God said it's characteristic of the last day that false prophets with power will manifest not all of them is just going to be talking out their heads some of them are going to have signs and wonders following them you have to be careful with this glory to god now I, I, one of the books that i wrote is called counterfeit charisma the age of false prophets And I've got an entire book on this end time subject of how to what? How to recognize false prophets, their tactics and their methods, their power source, the difference between divination and prophecy, false prophets, how they operate in the churches. Because many of them weasel their way into the congregations. And the Bible said in Second Peter to say they bring in damnable heresies. Glory to God. That's how false doctrine weaves its way in. It comes through somebody calling themselves a prophet with a word. Jesus said, watch out. It's characteristics of the last day. This is why you see so many of them. It's prophets everywhere now. It's prophet here, prophet there, prophet this, prophet that. They over here, they over there, they over here. And they all say, come over to where I am and get a prophetic word. Tell you your phone number. You already know your phone number. (laughs) Tell me something I don't know. Glory to God. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 6 and 7. I'm going to leave that alone. Keep moving on. Matthew 24, 6 and 7. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You see, but see to it that you be not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Ongoing wars and conflicts in the world today. And Wikipedia and the Council of Foreign Relations list from 27 to 47 wars going on on this planet right now. 
Glory to God. They're all over the place. We don't hear them on our news. Peter Jennings and then the other, he's, he's gone, but the other newscasters of them, they're not, they're not interested in reporting the news in other parts of the world. You know, our news is entertainment, so it's only entertainment news that we get. But we're not hearing about what's actually going on on the planet. There's wars being fought all over this world right now. Jesus says that's characteristic of the last days. There will always be wars and rumors of wars, particularly concerning the big war that was going to supposedly come and destroy mankind. Mankind going to blow itself up. Jesus says, see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. It's still to come. Don't believe all of that. And then it talks about famines. Glory to God. This was just on world news last night. There will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various, various places. This is in Madagascar. Who saw, who saw that on the news last night? There's a million people about to starve to death. This is one of the first climate change famines created in the world right now and it's going on in there in an island off of Africa called Madagascar. Didn't they have a cartoon out not a while ago talking about Madagascar? Those people are about to starve to death. Over a million of them right now. Glory to God. Famines, earthquakes, pestilences like COVID-19. Jesus talked about all of these. And then here's another one that's Very interesting. He said, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. People are going to be seeing things in the heavens and outer space. Now, I'm not trying to get on this ancient alien trip. Glory to God. But, you know, folks are going to be seeing things, whether they are natural, whether they are cosmic, whether they are uh, 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 comets blowing up in the sky and strange formations and clouds and storms. Whatever it is, Jesus says, there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. People are going to start seeing things. This is characteristic of the last days. He goes on, he says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth. Nations will be in anguish at perplexity and the roaring, tossing sea, big tsunami waves like the one that hit Japan about seven or eight years ago and destroyed that entire coast. The Bible says in verse number 26, he says, people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what's coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. God is saying to us, glory to God, not only is there going to be political strife and strife in our communities and all of that, he says, in the cosmos, in the heavens, People will see things and it's going to cause such anguish that people will have heart attacks and faint for what's coming on this planet. Glory to God. But this is the one that is the uncomfortable one. And then he starts talking about persecution. It says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate one another. 
See, because here in America, we're not prepared for persecution. Nobody tells us about this. We think, we think Christianity is here where everybody's has got this comfortable Christianity like we have in America. It's not true, ladies and gentlemen. There are people now, every day on this planet, dying for the faith. But what happens when it comes to a land of people who aren't expecting it? Glory to God. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many. But listen to this. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now there is a direct correlation between a cold-hearted society and the increase in wickedness. How is this wickedness increasing? We're seeing it in the media. We're seeing it on TV. We're seeing it in the movies. We're seeing it on the news. We're getting it in our music. We're getting it in our video games. We're getting the violence and the wickedness that we're seeing on television now. You gotta be careful sitting up watching TV with your kids now because you don't know what these shows are going to be showing. Wickedness is glorified now. Glory to God. I remember coming up watching Rob and Laura, the Dick Van Dyke show. When they showed them in bed, they was in separate beds. Glory to God. You got, listen, they, they, nah, they have to warn his people, sex, violence, and all that. They have the warnings before they even put the program on. On regular television. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. This is what a noted scholar Leon Morris had to say. He said, the followers are clearly warned that in the end times means serious trouble for them. They will be hated not because of anything that they have done, but on the account of my name. They will suffer persecution simply because they bear the name Christian. In an evil world, they must expect to suffer for what they are, not for what they have done. Glory to God. Then he goes on to say, say these people will encounter disaster. They had professed to be Christians because of the peace and the joy they sought in a difficult world. And instead, they find persecution in such a situation. Nominal Christians readily find the faith a trap that they seek to get out of. Glory to God. Let no man deceive you by any means. Paul gets into this. He says, for that day will not come except there comes a falling away first. So there, one of the expectations in the whole end time scenario is because of persecution and times getting tough is that people will abandon the faith. What if it started costing people their lives to be a Christian? How full would our churches be? Glory to God. This is what they live like in other places in the world. Here we don't see it. We got a constitution that gives you your rights, right? But what about when that begins to change? What about when this naming the name of Jesus will cost you something? Will you be willing to stand for Christ if your life is on the line? Oh, glory to God. He says, don't let anyone deceive you anyway, for that day will not come until the rebellion recurs. This is getting into Second Thessalonians with Paul's talks about persecution is a reality with Christians in the West are not very familiar. 
especially in America, Christians tend to believe that they are immune from persecution. This is largely because of religious freedoms. However, as the end approaches, religious freedoms will come under attack. Christians will bear the ire of a Christ-hating world because their faithfulness to Christ and their refusal to compromise with the world. It is during these times that things will be turned upside down. Isaiah warns, he says, in Isaiah 5 and 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet. So what happens is truth then gets distorted. See, when light becomes darkness and darkness becomes light and right becomes wrong, then you don't know what the truth is. You don't know whose side to believe. You can have a society who can look at January 6th and see an insurrection and then turn around the next minute and say it didn't happen. When you're looking at it, that's what happens when the standard of truth has become so diluted that you don't know. Because what happens is those who, call, those who are calling good, evil. And they call evil good. Glory to God. Are we not living in this time? Glory to God. Now one of the things that, one of the signs that Jesus gives in his Mount Olivet Discourse, it is the most defining eschatological sign in the Bible that kicks off the most troublesome time that the world will ever know. Glory to God. This is called the abomination of desolation. Everybody say that. The abomination of desolation. I want you to remember that. It is very, very important. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing in the holy place, whosoever reads, let him understand. Now Jesus is talking about something that he refers us to Daniel. Because see, if you're going to understand end time prophecy, you must understand the prophecies of Daniel. Daniel is a prophetic key. If you're going to get into Revelation, you need Daniel. Glory to God, if you're going to understand end times, you need Daniel. Daniel is a, is, 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 a, it sets the stage for us to understand the book of the Revelation. In Mark 13, Jesus, he, he says it this way. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. What's going on with this abomination of desolation? Let's get into a few definitions. The word abomination comes from the Hebrew word shakut. Which means a dis something disgusting, something that is filthy, especially an idol or some other detestable thing. The word desolation comes from the Hebrew word she'im, which means to be destitute, destroyed, to make waste. Together these words mean a desolating sacrifice or something that is sacrilege. Glory to God. And so what is Jesus telling us about? The abomination of desolation 
is when the Antichrist, also known as the beast, breaks a seven-year peace covenant with Israel and the surrounding nations. He then walks into the most holy place of the rebuilt temple, sits on the throne of God, and declares himself to be God. He will break the seven-year covenant three and a half years into it and take away Israel's sacrifices and offerings. Now, the reason why Jesus talked about this as the disciples beheld the temple, because all of these events are centered around temple activity. In other words, he, Jesus is talking about Antichrist in the future is going to walk into a temple in Israel and commit this sacrilege called the abomination of desolation. But, in order to understand it properly, we then must go to the prophecies of Daniel because this abomination of desolation actually happened in history. Daniel 9:27. this is the passage that is very, very important. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. What this means is for a seven-year, to be a seven-year covenant, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. The sacrifice and the offerings are going to be happening at the temple. So this is why this is so important. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out upon him. This is the futuristic abomination of desolation this is the one that jesus talked about when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place where it ought not jesus was looking forward to the what the antichrist is going to do but he is also looking backward at what happened to israel some 140 years before jesus was born the seven-year period is known as Daniel's 70th week. Daniel's 70th week. We don't, I don't want to get into the other 69 weeks and all that because you all will walk out of here completely confused because it's hard. Glory to God. So we're just going to deal with this last seven years because that's the one that's coming. Paul has a version of the abomination of desolation. Let's look at it. Paul's version, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He's, Paul's version says, Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. That's the Antichrist. Verse 4, listen to what he does. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or that is worship so that he sets himself up in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Are you talking about somebody with a serious attitude problem? Glory to God. Antichrist is going to be one of these people who is going to be, bring all of these people to the peace treaty. He's going to sign with Israel. He's going to sign with all these other nations. He's going to bring them in. And then all of a sudden he's going to change 
and he go buck wild and walk into the temple and say, don't worship no other God, I'm God. Next week, we're going to talk about the Antichrist. And we're going to talk about his serious attitude adjustment and what happens to him. Make sure y'all come back next week. Amen. Glory to God. Now, after Antichrist walks in the temple and calls himself God, the Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation, such was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No will ever be. And except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect saved, those days will be shortened. Matthew 24, 21 from the NIV says it a little differently. For then shall be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never again to be equaled again. Daniel 12, 1 talks about this time as well. He says there will be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. It's always when this period comes, it'll be the worst time in all human history. And there's been a lot of bad things that are going on on the planet, but this is going to be worse than everything. The Holocaust and uh, under Hitler will be titlywinks to what's going to happen under the Antichrist. Alas, for that day is a great day, so that is none like it, even the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob here is a metaphor for Israel, the nation of Israel. But it shall be saved out of it. So now that we've kind of got a pre- precursor, we want to now do a brief study on Israel's temples because all of this factors in. Remember, Jesus said they, they were looking at the temple and they were showing Jesus to the temple. They said, Jesus, Jesus, look at these beautiful buildings. Jesus poured cold water on their parade and said, ain't one of these stones going to be left on the other one. Glory to God. So now, the temples are the centerpiece and are prominent, the factor prominently in the eschaton and how God is going to work his plan. Basically, tonight we're going to be talking about two of Israel's temples. We're going to be talking about the Solomon's temple and we're going to talk about Zerubbabel's temple. Glory to God. Solomon's temple was completed about around 958 B.C. The scriptural references for that is 2 Chronicles chapter 2. And it was destroyed by the Babylonians under the command of Nebuchadnezzar. King, 2 Kings 25.9, Jeremiah 52.13. There's a, a lot of prophecy from Isaiah and Jeremiah dealing with the and Habakkuk and other prophets that dealt with the coming Chaldean Empire or Nebuchadnezzar taking uh, uh, the Jews back captive to Babylon. The second temple was Zerubbabel's temple. It was dedicated around 516, 520 B.C., the scriptural reference for them is for Ezra. It's in Ezra 5, uh, 6 through 17, Ezra 6, 1 through 15. However, some 400 years later, in 167, it was this second temple that suffered the worst desecration in Israel's history. 
by a Syrian king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. To this day, Israel and Syria are enemies. To this day, glory to God. But this Syrian king marks a special place in history. Why? Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11. We're just going to do two couple of verses. And it set itself up to be a, a great as the commander of an army of the Lord. Look, it said what it says in red. It took away the daily sacrifice. Now, Daniel is prophesying about Antiochus Epiphanes. The interesting thing is Antiochus Epiphanes didn't come till about 200 years after Daniel lived. So this was yet futuristic prophecy for Daniel, but it's history for us. And it was history for Jesus, but it was prophecy for Daniel. So Daniel is talking about a king that hadn't come yet, but he was going to come. And one of the things he was going to do is he's going to take away the daily sacrifice from the Lord and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it and it prospered and did did everything it did. And truth was thrown down to the ground. Here again, whenever you have an Antichrist spirit, whenever you have a Satan's attack, truth will always be thrown down to the ground. Because he hates the truth. He is a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. And so this is whenever his emissaries are in, truth will be sacrificed. And this is what we saw right here in America where truth made no difference to our former president. And that's why I'm so surprised at so many evangelicals that backed them when they knew the man was a liar. And this is just telling the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Because this is what happens when truth is thrown down to the ground. Glory to God. This is what Antiochus Epiphanes did. Then Daniel eleven thirty one and 32. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Now, the reason I put that in red, because now we're going to have to go over to the book of Maccabees. And we're going to have to look at what happened when Antiochus Epiphanes did what he did. Some people who believed in God said, listen, you are going to come in here and desecrate my father's house. And they rose up against this man. Oh, glory to God. Y'all know about this. When, I, when we connect the holiday with it, you'll not understand. And Daniel 11, Daniel 8 and 11 records the actions of Antiochus Epiphanes, king of Syria. In 167 B.C., he desecrated the Jewish temple. This account is recorded in the Apocrypha, the books not received by Protestants as inspired, but are historically relevant. Glory to God. So now we are going to look at 1st Maccabees, verse chapter number 1, verses 54 through 51, the New Revised Standard Version. Now on the 15th day of Cheslev, 
on the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrifice on the altar of burnt offering. Also, they built altars in the surrounding towns of Judah. The books of the law they found, they tore into pieces and burned them with fire. Anyone found possessing the book of the covenant or anyone who adhered to the law was condemned to death by the decree of the king. This is what Antiochus Epiphanes did to the Jews. He was a terrible, horrible king. And this is what he said. He was a Syrian who had taken over Jerusalem. But this is what happened. On the 25th day of the month, they offered a sacrifice on the altar that was on top of the burnt offerings. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families of those who circumcised them. They hung the infants from the mother's neck. So they said, if you do, if you follow your Jewish law, we're going to kill the mama. We're going to kill the baby and make the mother wear the baby around their neck. This is recorded in history, ladies and gentlemen. Glory to God. From 1 Maccabees chapter number 4, verses 36 to 38. Then Judas, not Judas, not Jesus is Judas, but Judas Maccabeus and his brothers led a rebellion against this king. And Judas and his brothers said, see our enemies are crushed. After they led this rebellion, ladies and gentlemen, what ended up happening is they overthrew the Syrian army. They put them out of Jerusalem. So they said, let us go up and cleanse the sanctuary and dedicate it. So all the army assembled and went up to Mount Zion. And they saw the sanctuary desolate, the altar profane, and the gates burn, and the courts. They saw bushes sprung up as in the thickets. In other words, they were overgrown by vegetation or, the, or in the mountains. And they also saw the chambers of the priests in ruins. And then he goes on, First Maccabees 42, 52-59. Early in the morning on the 25th day on the ninth month, which the which is the month of Cheslev, one hunt in the year one hundred and forty eighth year, they rose and they offered sacrifices as the law directs on the new altar, and they offered burnt offerings that they had built. And every season on that very day, the Gentiles had profaned it. It was dedicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. And the people fell on their faces and they worshiped and they blessed heaven who had prospered them. So they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days. And the joyful offering... And, and joyfully they offered burnt offerings and they offered a sacrifice of well-being and thanksgiving. Glory to God. And they decorated the front of the temple with gold crowns and shields. And they restored the gates and the chambers and the priests. And they fitted the doors. And there was a very great joy amongst the people. And the disgrace brought by the Gentiles was removed. Glory to God. 
Then Judas and his brothers and the assemblies of Israel determined that every year at that season, the days of dedication and the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month, Cheslev, which is our December 25th. Sound familiar? Okay. Glory to God. Maccabees. That's Maccabees 4. 57 through 59. And this is where the celebration of Hanukkah comes from. Have you heard of the Jewish holiday Hanukkah? Well, Hanukkah is the celebration of them taking back the sanctuary because it had been polluted and desolated by a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. So now Jesus, when he's looking at the temple, he goes back and he's telling the Jews, he said, well, this temple you see is going to come under destruction again. And it's going to be reminiscent, glory to God, of what happened when Antiochus Epiphanes came and he desecrated the temple. And so Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he said, then you better get out of town. He said, because all hell literally is about to break loose. Glory to God. This same temple that the disciples pointed out to Jesus was later known as the Herodian Temple. Now, the Herodian Temple of Jesus' day was actually a renovation project of Zerubbabel's temple that was cleansed after the Jews pushed out the king of Syria, Antiochus Epiphanes. But in 70 AD, just like Jesus prophesied, The Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Zerubbabel's slant, the Herodian temple, and since then the Jews have been without a temple. Glory to God. What the Jews have today is what are called synagogues. The synagogues, the word basically means a congregation. It is a place of prayer. The original of these uh, Sabbath day meeting buildings erected for the purpose must be sought for in the post-exilic period. In other words, after they came out of Babylon, that's when scholars and historians believe the synagogues came into practice because the temples, glory to God, were no more. Glory to God. So this is why Jews today don't have a temple. They have synagogues. But the temple was the center of Jewish faith. Because it is the place where God came in the most holy place beyond the veil. And he stood and he hovered between the cherubims whose wings pointed over the mercy seat. And on the day of the atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest alone would go into there, dip his hyssop brush in the brazen arbor where the blood of the lamb had been poured into. And he would walk in, glory to God, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And God would then be propitiated or satisfied and this is how atonement was given symbolically to the Jews but it also represents all of the things that Jesus Christ would come do in his own body let's give the Lord a hand praise in my remaining minutes Israel's third temple will be a place where the Antichrist will commit the final abomination of desolation. 
he will walk into the holy place and declare himself God. Now, there is speculation when this temple will be built. Some say it will be built during the first half of that 70-year period, seven-year period. Glory to God. Others say it may be built before. We don't know. Glory to God. When it will be built. But it is coming. However, whether it's built during or before the 70th week, the only requirement is, is that it be in place for the Antichrist to desecrate. Glory to God. How many know the planning for the third temple is already happening? It's already happening, ladies and gentlemen. It's underway already. The Temple Institute in Jerusalem is already making and preparing the utensils, the priestly garments, and training for the priests. The diagrams for the temple have already been uh, developed. This is what the Temple Institute looked like. Glory to God. Those of you that went to Jerusalem, y'all might have walked right by this place. Glory to God. That's the, that's, one of the, that's the headquarters. But look at the statement of faith for the Temple Institute. The statement of principles, the Temple Institute is dedicated to all aspects of divine commandment for Israel to build a house for God's presence. The Holy Temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. The range of the Institute's involvement with, the, with this concept includes education, research, activism, and actual preparation. The Temple Institute is preparing priests now, to be able to offer sacrifices, they're already working on it. Ladies and gentlemen, you are looking at the diagram for the sanctuary of the temple. That's one of the diagrams. You're looking at it. Glory to God. On their website, you can get a virtual tour of the temple. Go to, go to uh, templeinstitute.com. They got a virtual tour. They, they got plans for it already. You're looking at some of the artist's rendition of what the temple is going to look like. Glory to God. Look at these pictures. This is what they're saying. It's going to be very similar to this. Glory to God. Now, there's that golden menorah. The seven-armed lampstand. Glory to God. Part of the meaning of, 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 of Hanukkah is the festival of lights. Well, during, during that first festival, they didn't have enough oil to keep it lit, but God kept it miraculously lit for those eight days. So that's why Hanukkah also means the celebration of lights. That menorah, ladies and gentlemen, the Temple Institute has already made it and it's already being ready for when they build their temple. Glory to God. This is the menorah that they made, ladies and gentlemen. There it is right there. And when they dedicated, they dedicated with the blowing of the trumpets. You're looking at the menorah that's going to sit in the rebuilt temple in Israel. Glory to God. American tourists have stood in front of this very menorah that would be placed in the temple when it is constructed, there go two of them Americans right there. Hey, wait a minute. They look familiar. <laughs> they stood right in front of the menorah that's going to be placed in the temple when they finish it. Ladies and gentlemen, so for review, 
and then we're done. The third temple will have to be built. There will be a seven-year covenant backed by the Antichrist. This is believed it will be a peace treaty with the surrounding nations. Three and one-half years into the covenant, Antichrist will change his mind, break the covenant, just as Antiochus Epiphanes did. He will take away the daily sacrifices being offered in the temple. Antichrist will then step into the most holy place of the temple, take a seat, and declare himself to be God. He will erect his image of himself and place it in the temple. Just like Antiochus Epiphanes did, he erected a statue of Zeus in the most holy place. These actions will kick off what Jesus called the Great Tribulation. So next week, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we're going to cover. We're going to cover the beast or the Antichrist. We're going to talk about the mark of the beast. We're going to talk about his characteristics. We're going to talk about his actions. We're going to talk about from where he arises. We're going to talk about the punishment of those who take the mark of the beast. And we're going to talk about his demise. Ladies and gentlemen, you must know the times. Let's give the Lord a hand praise in the name of Jesus. Glory, glory to God. You must know the times, answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times.
Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.